I want to read you uh, a story from a man who recounts a day in the life of his family, one of his days off. He says, it started out as a great day. The weather was wonderful as he, we hoped it would be, and we just got done having a nice family breakfast. I was really looking forward to the day. We were going to leave for the activity that we had planned in about two hours, so I was using the time to do some reading. But my teenage daughter and my youngest son seemed to be more at each other's throats than usual. I was listening to the verbal back and forth escalate, growing more irritated with each moment. I sat there steaming with my book in my hand, but I refused to intervene. I don't have to deal with this today, I reasoned. This is my day off. I even wondered why my wife didn't do something. Didn't she hear what was going on? Then my son ran into the bathroom with my daughter chasing him. They began to push with all their might on either side of the door, and I came to the end of my rope. I got up not with a godly sense of parental purpose, but with a heart full of anger and self-pity. Didn't they know what my life was like? Didn't they know how hard I worked for them? Didn't they realize how important this day was to me? Couldn't they see I was trying to read? Couldn't they figure out that this was the kind of stuff that wrecks days like this? My daughter was older. Why did she not put a stop to this? Why did she have to be so stubborn? In that spirit, I got up and marched toward the scene. I saw my daughter first. I spoke to her out of my sense that I had personally been wronged, that she was wrecking my day, and that she didn't seem to care. I gave her the I do and do for you, and this is the thanks I get. Why don't you grow up for once speech? My words were accusatory and harsh, born more out of a love for myself than a love for her. They were not spoken to accomplish what God wanted in that moment, but what I wanted. My daughter kept saying as I talked on and on, but dad, dad, you don't understand. But I wasn't there to understand. I was there to vent my anger. You ever been there before? Maybe you're dealing with a critical boss or a coworker, a teacher that you have a real hard time getting along with, maybe even a close friend, a family member. Have you ever come to the end of your rope? Spoken harshly, accusatorily. You're in a conversation, but you're not there looking to understand. You're looking to vent your anger. We've been in this series, Sticks and Stones, and man, if we're honest, it's, it's hitting pretty close to home, isn't it? Our words reveal the true measure of our Christian maturity. Our tongues are telling a story, and unfortunately and sadly, our big mouths are striking again and again and again. And yet, Jesus, through the grace of his gospel, through the power of his spirit, he wants to transform our talk. He is transforming our talk. Today, I want us to consider words spoken in anger. Words spoken in anger. It's part of this sub-series that we're in. 
Big Mouth strikes again. Kenny started it last week. Now, I got to say right up front that this is a hard topic for me to speak on. Over the last 20 years or so, sinful anger has to be more frequently the sin that I've had to confess to my wife and my children who are listening. So when Martin Luther was quoted as saying, we are all beggars, that's how I feel this morning. A preacher should always feel that way when he's preaching from God's word, but I especially feel this morning like I'm a beggar and I'm talking to other beggars and we need to know where the bread is. And that bread, right, is Jesus. So we're going to go to him together. Go to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about words spoken in anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Lord Jesus, we ask you for your mercy this morning. Would you instruct us from your word? Would you empower us? by your spirit, and would you help us to talk in ways that show that we're yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In this section of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is teaching his disciples how we ought to live. Let's look at how he does this. Look first at verse 20, just right before the verses I started reading. Verse 20. This is the main point that Jesus is making in this larger section. He says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus' thesis. This is his main point. Your righteousness has to be greater than these religious leaders. And he ends this section with a conclusion in verse 48. Look at Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect. It's a Greek word called teleos. It means wholeness or completeness. An undivided heart, a wholeness of heart. A heart that's totally committed to loving God and loving others. So remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples how we ought to live. And between his thesis in verse 20 and his conclusion... In verse 48, he's doing two things. He's teaching us to live by doing two things. He's teaching the true intent and the spirit of the Old Testament law. And he's correcting the false teaching of the time, the teaching of these religious leaders, these guys called the scribes and the Pharisees. And to his disciples in these verses, 21 through 26, he's saying your talk has to be better than theirs. 
Your talk has to be better than theirs. It's got to be perfect kind of talk. It's got to be God kind of talk. It's got to be a talk that flows from a wholeness of heart, an undivided heart, a completeness of heart, to which we're all supposed to say, I don't have that kind of heart. I've blown it with this kind of talk. You see, that's what the gospel does. It it humbles us so that it might build us up in Christ. It shows us our need and then tells us of how Jesus meets that need. It shows you the problem so that Jesus becomes your only solution. That's why it's good news. It just doesn't inform us of the problem. It gives us the solution to our problem, which is Jesus. Angry, divisive, destructive talk was talk that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were all quite comfortable with. Jesus is not comfortable with it. And so he's calling his disciples to a different kind of talk. This is a put-off, put-on passage. A put-off, put-on passage. Jesus is calling us to put off the talk of hatred and to put on the talk of love. To put off the talk that divides and put on the talk that unifies. To put off the talk that tears down and put on the talk that builds up. To put off the talk that wounds and put on the talk that heals. It's a call to put off the talk of hell and put on the talk of heaven. That's what this passage is aiming to do. So what is this angry talk that we're supposed to put off? Let's try to understand this. Jesus begins, you have heard it said. This is very provocative because you've got to remember, this is a large crowd that has gathered and likely in the crowd were these scribes and Pharisees. So Jesus is essentially saying, you know, you've heard these guys say, These guys that are here, you've heard them talk about the law, and they've said that the law says you shouldn't murder, which it does. And if you murder, you'll be judged, which you will. But their teaching is too shallow. I haven't physically murdered everyone. I haven't spent any time in prison. Like, I'm good. I'm upholding God's law. That was their view. And Jesus says that's a far too shallow view and you're missing the entire point. Being angry with your brother, insulting and abusing others with your words, condemning and judging others in self-righteousness, this kind of talk reveals something. It reveals that we have bitterness and resentment, jealousy, envy, anger, hatred, all of these things in our hearts. And the seeds of anger that lead to the fruit of this kind of talk are the same seeds of anger that lead to the fruit of physical murder. So Jesus is saying, morally speaking, you're no different. Because the stuff in our hearts is equally the same. It just gives vent in different kinds of ways. So don't think that you're upholding the law. Yes, 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 the law says don't murder, but don't think you're upholding the law when you're comfortably and carelessly killing people with your words. Have you or are you right now struggling with hating somebody? 
Are you speaking insulting or abusive words? Do you use your words to hurt people? Are you speaking about someone to their face or behind their back or on social media in ways that attack his or her character? Jesus says, if this kind of talk characterizes you, if this is the kind of talk that you're comfortable with, and especially if this kind of talk characterizes you, but you think you're close to God, he says you're wrong and you're on your way to hell. This is heavy. Growing up, my dad was a welder, and we had these things laying all over our garage. They're called strikers. And as a young boy, I was kind of fascinated with fire, too. Must run in the jeans. Me and my buddy Doug were on the side of my house one day trying to start a fire with some dry leaves and grass and all the kinds of stuff that you start fires with. We couldn't get it started. So what do you think we did? Grab the gasoline. So I grew up in a small little one-story rancher. It's a small house in western New York. And when we got this thing going, the flames of this fire were higher than my house. The light blue siding that was on the side of my garage, it started to buckle and char, and all the smoke started to make it blacken. Now right then, my dad was coming around the corner in his truck. He was coming home from work. So we did what any guilty boys would do. We ran out to meet my father and distracted him and got him into the house as quickly as we could so that we can get back to stomping and figuring out how to put out this fire. Funny now, not so funny then. The not-so-funny truth that Jesus is telling us here is that we've got these hearts They're full of the gasoline of anger and bitterness and selfishness, disillusionment, discontentment. And given the right situation, we use our angry words. And these angry words are like sparks that are just torching relationships. Christians talking to Christians Friends talking to friends, husbands talking to wives, parents talking to kids, kids talking to parents. And we cannot be like the Pharisees. We cannot think that we're close to God when we're killing relationships with our angry words. And we can't act like Doug and I did. Hope Dad doesn't find out. I hope no one sees this. We're going to take care of this on our own. We're going to handle this in-house. If you're really going to change your angry talk, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need his death in your place for all of your sins of anger. You need his resurrection, which gives you the righteousness that he alone can provide. And you need a relationship empowered by his spirit, or else you will never change your angry talk. Husbands, what is your talk like with your wives and kids, especially when you don't think you're getting the respect that you deserve. You see, here's the thing. Usually, by and large, we're socially, we're socially aware enough where we don't 
blow it too often with people that we don't know very well. Don't judge your words by the people that you don't know very well. What is your talk like when no one else is around? What is your talk like when you're in the raw? What is your talk like when you're speaking and nobody else sees? That's where we need to judge our talk. So husbands to wives and kids. Wives, how is your talk to your husband or children when the day just isn't going your way? Teens, how's your talk to your parents and teachers when they're telling you what you don't want to hear? How's our talk with our bosses or our employees, our school board members, our government leaders, the president? I mean, God's word could not be more clear, church. These are the leaders. Leaders in our lives are there because God has placed them there. So our talk about them and to these people matters. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, Ephesians says. Why? Because that's the kind of talk of those who are in hell. And Jesus is calling his disciples to start talking as if they're on their way to heaven. The Pharisees and scribes were very comfortable with this kind of talk. But if we're Jesus followers, we can't be comfortable with it. We've got to put it off. So how do we do that? How do we begin to talk in ways? How do we put on the kind of talk that Jesus is calling us to put on? Now, seen rightly, when we're reading our Bibles, through the lens of the gospel and the cross, we we have to see passages like this as primarily an invitation by Jesus to come to him and change. This is an invitation passage. He's inviting us into true change. He's inviting us into a process in which our angry angry talk can actually be transformed. And since we know now that our words do what our hearts have already done, we should expect that it's at the heart level that Jesus wants to apply his gospel to actually transform us. So let's say it's been a long week. You've been working really hard, you've been really busy, And tonight's finally one of those nights where we've got nothing going on. Like you've been looking forward to this night for days, maybe even more, maybe weeks. You're going to grab some good food. You're going to start that good book you've been wanting to read. Or you're going to watch that movie you've been wanting to watch. And you're going to be in bed by like 9 o'clock. And all the teens are looking at me like, dude, you are lame. This one's free for you guys. There's coming a day when being in bed by 9 o'clock is like gold to you. Okay? You're welcome. So the night, the nights, every time you think about this night, you can just feel your body like relax. You're so looking forward to this. And it starts off well. You pick up your food. You're in a great mood. You sit down to eat and the phone rings. It's your neighbor. His dog has just eaten about a pound of chocolate. Now, for you non-dog people, and that was me until something recently happened, a pound of chocolate is is like fatal for dogs. 
So your neighbor is desperate. I need help. I need help right now. Can you come over? Can you make, I got no one to watch the kids. Can you come over? Can you make dinner? Can you put them to bed and just stay here with them until I get home? I don't know when that's going to be. Now you all are a lot more like Jesus than I am. You say, man, an opportunity for me to really think of others more than myself. (laughs) Service, man, like bring it on. I'm ready. Not me. No relaxing dinner? No book? No movie? No nine o'clock bedtime? I'm like, dude, you don't need to take your dog to the vet. I'm going to kill this thing. <laughs> and then I start working the plan. How can, I, how can I still stick this plan the way that I want? The kids really don't need to eat dinner. Like we can get them in bed by like 6 o'clock. They can eat breakfast in the morning. By the time I hang up the phone, I went from singing, tonight's going to be a good night to I think I'm going to physically harm somebody. (laughs) Now, what happened here? This is fictional, by the way, mostly. What happened here? (laughs) Was it wrong after a long, busy week to look forward to a night off? Was it long, wrong to look forward to getting to bed early and getting a good night's sleep? Of course not. But what happens to us so often is that these normal desires that we all have, good desires, sometimes even godly desires, they morph into something. They start with, I'm looking forward to this good thing that I'm about to enjoy, to I must have this thing or else. At the root of our anger, at the heart level, it's strong desire. Even desire for good things. And what you and I need to know about our hearts is that they are skilled at taking good things and making them into gods. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes angry words to come out of your mouth? James asks. Isn't it this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. We murder people when we don't get what we want. And the weapon of choice is our words. So what do you really want? Remember, Jesus wants to apply his gospel at this level. Not at the fact that you just need to speak differently. He wants you to find out what is it that you're really craving at the heart level. Is it respect? Is it affection? Is it the help you think you need that you're not getting? Is it relief? What is it? What is at the root of your anger? What are you craving so that you, when you don't get it, you're exploding in anger and speaking out of that anger? You see, that's where Jesus is inviting you to change. That place, whatever that place is for you, that's where Jesus is coming in to say, hey, can I help you with that? Fear is another common root of anger. When we fear that we might lose something, we tend to use our words to try to maintain or to regain control of a situation. 
to exert our power, to speak in a way that protects what we're afraid of losing. So with five young kids, especially when they were really young, my house was always like chaotic and loud. I mean, let's be honest, it still is that way. I don't like chaotic and loud. I don't like things feeling like they're out of control. And so when things feel like they're out of my control, I could try to use my words to get them back under control. I fear losing this idea or this sense of peace and orderliness. And so when I'm in fear of losing that, I speak in a way that seeks to bring that back under my control. Now you throw into that mix a disrespectful comment to your mother or an inappropriate joke or you make me ask you two, three times to do something very simple and I fear like, oh no, this is going off the rails and I've got to bring this back under control. But instead of being the adult in the room and being a reasonable, gentle presence and offering words that actually help, I blow the whole thing up. Go figure. God actually knows what he's talking about. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So my anger that's rooted in my fear of losing control, I act and not make the situation better, I actually act and make the situation worse. Am I the only one that does this? You see, this is where the process of transformation begins, is when we apply the gospel at these levels. When my good desires morph into God's, I need to go to Jesus and say, I've done it again, Lord. I've kicked you off the throne of my heart, and I've replaced you with this thing, whatever it is, because I really think that it's the thing that's going to make, it, make me happy. That this is going to do it for me. It's idolatrous. And you died for the sins of idolatry and I need you to come and forgive me and to cleanse me. And I need your spirit to actually help me to live and to believe that you are enough because you are. When my fears lead me to speak harsh and hurtful words in an effort to control the situation, I have to say, Lord, that temper of mine, again, I've done it again. Please have mercy. The cross shows me that even in the moment of your greatest weakness, you are exerting your greatest power, the salvation of the world. There's never been a moment when you have not been in control. So would you help me to stop trying to take the reins of my life and release them to you because you're in control and you're working things in my life for good. I don't need to control everything. Forgive me and empower me to change. Now, man, I wish it was just as easy as that. Pray a prayer and you're good to go. Putting on the type of talk that Jesus calls us to put on is not instantaneous. It's a process. And the put on, don't misunderstand me, the put on is don't be angry. The put on is not become stoic and unemotional. That's not the put on. The put on is when I experience emotion, 
regardless of what kind that emotion is, I've learned over time to practice self-control in that emotion. So I might feel angry, but I've learned how to practice self-control in that anger and not to explode. Here's what I mean. Proverbs 29.11 says that a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds holds it back. Now, as parents, it's right for us to correct our kids. And even if you're not a parent, you're an adult, Right? You're, you're in situations, you're business owners, employees, teachers, you're all kinds of things. And guess what? Adults have to speak up at times to correct things that are wrong. And when you give hours and hours and years and years to your life, guess what? You actually care about them. So if the goal is to be unemotional with things that you're devoting your life to, that's, not, that's, an, that's an illogical goal. Of course you're going to feel certain ways. The goal is in those moments when I've got to correct an employee or speak out and do something in a way that brings order. I'm I'm trying to follow Jesus here. So I'm doing that with self-control. When my iPhone is dead, I just need a little electricity to charge it. I don't need a lightning rod's worth of electricity. Just an iPhone charger will do. But when anger gets the best of us and we lose self-control, it's like we're bringing a lightning rod's worth of energy to bear on a situation that'll be just fine to use an iPhone charger. So most times, instead of blowing stuff up, all we need to do is to bring a reasoned self-control response, offer some instruction, and allow the Spirit of God, which is the fruit of self-control, to display that we're actually trying to follow Jesus here. Now, what if we've blown it? What if in our efforts to put off this angry speech and to put on the talk that Jesus is calling us to put on, what if we've blown it again? Jesus tells us right here in Matthew what we're supposed to do. Essentially, if you've got the choice between going to church or skipping church to go make it right with someone that you've blown up at, skip church. Jesus is telling us that the acts of worship that he's interested in is making things right with a brother, a friend, a coworker, a boss, an employee, a parent, a son, a daughter. That's the kind of worship that he's into. I read to you the story about this father. And remember when we left off, he wasn't there trying to understand. He was there to vent his anger. This is what he concludes with. I left her room and threw myself angrily down on the couch to resume my reading, but I could not concentrate. My conscience was troubled over the way that I had handled things. No matter how hard I tried to justify myself, I could not lift the weight of conviction, which soon turned to remorse. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. When would I ever get it right? When would I ever get it right? How can I know what I know and yet give in to this kind of communication? I cried out in prayer for forgiveness and help. It was for me one of those, oh, wretched man that I am moments. I finished praying and went to my daughter's room to ask for her forgiveness. 
Are there some doors that you need to go knock on today? Are there some doors you need to go knock on this week? Is there some reconciliation that you need to go do? I was angry. I used my words to hurt you, and I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? You know, there's been a lot of talk lately about renewal and revival, mainly because there's some interesting things happening on some college campuses in our country, and some of you no doubt have seen the Jesus Revolution movie. A lot of talk about revival and renewal. We should thank God for things like that. We really should. But what if a different, more subtle renewal took place? What if in the privacy of our homes and our workplaces, our schools, there was a revival of reconciliation? No news reporters, no blog writers, just a whole lot of quiet reconciliation, asking for forgiveness, relationships mended, peace restored. We don't have to wonder if God wants this. Matthew 5 tells us he does. This is the kind of revival that also pleases the Lord. You know, as I close, I realize that some situations aren't just easily dealt with by asking for forgiveness. It certainly doesn't require less than that, but it oftentimes requires more. This morning, let me, let me just mention that I believe for you, this is Jesus' invitation to say, hey, you need some help, and I want to give it to you. Don't hear this as a condemning sermon against your anger. Hear this as an invitation to Jesus that says, I want to help you. I alone can. It's time for you to talk to somebody. Talk to a friend. Talk to one of us pastors. Maybe you need to see a trusted counselor. I know that God wants to help you because his word is so clear. And the series, Sticks and Stones, it's, it's meant to help all of us, whether, whether anger is something that we struggle with or not, or not. Even when our big mouths strike again in some way, Jesus wants to transform your talk so that you would actually be a conduit of his grace. So friends, let's stay open to what Jesus wants to do. Let's stay open to what he wants to help us put off and put on. The works of the flesh, Paul writes, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Christian brother or sister, that's who we were. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Brother and sister, that's who you are now. Let's stay open to Jesus. Let's strive to bear the fruit of the Spirit in keeping with our repentance. Let's put off the talk of anger, and let's put on the talk of love.